This is the Dreadful Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're at the finale of Season 2, Episode 10, and they were enemies. Welcome back to the final episode of Penny Dreadful Season 2. We're talking about Episode 10, and they were enemies. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Darklings. I'm one of your other hosts, John. And I am back, Ray, to talk about the finale for, for this awesome, awesome series. Excellent. Yes, I'm conscious that uh, that some of our listeners are listening to these episodes back to back, so they know exactly who we are. But just in case you, know, you uh, mix up some of our voices, you know, I know it doesn't sound very similar to Ray or John, uh, but just good to have our names out there at the beginning of the episode. Anyway, uh, I think we're going to jump straight into this one because it always feels like a bit of a milestone when you get to the end of a of uh, a show, a finale of a season, especially with a show written by one person like John Logan uh, writing every episode of the show. It feels like you're getting to the end of his vision the final chapter in this story in this book so it feels like a big milestone when we get to the end here uh, once again this episode is directed by brian kirk as i mentioned before he's uh, directed four episodes of the show so uh, so p- combining the two of them to close off this series is a, a good way to end it i think oh definitely this was a, a really a good finale uh, with that whole um the whole action around uh, madame carly's house mm-hmm well, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with the summary for the final episode of season two of Penny Dreadful? Sure. At Madame Carly's house, it's left to Vanessa to fight her and her master. So Malcolm and Victor Frankenstein are immobilized by hallucinations where those they have wronged torment them. Ethan, for his part, is still under the effect of the full moon. And elsewhere, John Clare learns the new rules now that he has been imprisoned in the cellar at Putney's Wax Museum. Dorian and Lily are prepared to take on the world. They certainly are. Yes, they are. Absolutely. Uh, Lots of stuff happened in this finale episode. The way we've been talking about these episodes, because it's a rewatch podcast, we've been picking out one point that we wanted to talk about about each episode. I found this really difficult because there's one big thing that's happening in the center of the episode, but loads of other stuff going on around uh, around all of the characters and col- closing out their season two uh, of the show. I think I had a question when we were going through season one of the show as to when it got renewed and when people were waiting. It actually got renewed four episodes into season one that there was going oh. to be a season two. So they did lay out some groundwork in season one for the second season. This feels more like an ending at the end of season mm. two. It feels like an ending for the characters where you may never see them again. Now, I think, again, they knew there was going to be a season three by the time it all had aired. But it does feel like they're closing it off to say goodbye to everybody. So it does feel like much more filmic in some ways. and It feels much more like uh, the end credits roll and you may not see them again for three or four years for the next season to come out. So uh, so difficult to pick a big moment, but each of us has. Uh, Ray, do you want to kick us off with your big moment? Because I think you've got the major moment from the episode. Yeah, I took it. I um, I just want to say like, Eva Green, uh, Vanessa, she can look so beautiful, uh, but she can always look, also look very scary. Uh, and Absolutely. I loved this scene where she, she basically has a, 
a conversation with with Lucifer, the devil through the doll, and um, mm-hmm. and it's more of a, a negotiation and a, um, I guess a temptation from the from the devil um, to Vanessa to mm-hmm. to claim her soul. Um, what I found impactful for this was was that she rejects the devil and what she says when she does it. Uh, again, it, it just harks yeah. back to my uh, initial impressions of her being this really this powerhouse and and something that's beyond mm-hmm. all these other great powers. So basically. The devil is trying to claim a soul and, and it comes down to a kiss and all you have to do is kiss the doll and, and everything's, you know, mm-hmm. hunky dory. <laughs> I get what I want and, uh, <laughs> and you get a life. Yeah. She actually sees a life with Ethan. Um, these, these possibilities, mm-hmm. all these temptations and she rejects it. And, um, and she says something like, you know, uh, I reject you. What makes you think that I want a normal life in the, in the, um, in the first place, you know, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And I think that just yeah, resonated yeah. a lot. Uh, it, it kind of shows the, um, the amount of thought that she's put into it and, and the depths of where she thinks she is with the, basically she mm-hmm. can't go back and she's, yeah. she's just damned anyway. Um, so yeah. yeah, I love this turn of, and she just stands up to this, uh, to the devil and she, she breaks him literally, um, the face. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, right through the face <laughs> yeah, of the scorpion. Absolutely. The scorpion's pouring out from the inside as well. It's so, so interesting. And, you know, the, the layering of this show from John Logan, uh, right back from the, um, the possession back in, uh, in episode eight of season one, this, comes back up again from uh, from Vanessa where she says it's my soul you can't take it unless mm. I give it willingly you have to uh, you have to take it from me but it's mine and that will always be mine no matter what you say to me I will not make the choice to transfer this over it's something that's echoed right the way, right the way back to then uh, and also that she has changed quite significantly throughout this series we've seen the build up of knowledge within the ma- the magic arts that she used the dark arts that she's used the murder that she's done uh, where um, Ethan spurned her and effectively said, you can never come back from this. This is all playing into where she is. You know, as she says, she couldn't possibly go and be a housewife at home sitting with the two kids and Ethan. That's not where her life is destined to go mm. now. Uh, she's taken a different path already. So uh, it, it's fantastic. And wow, that Verbus Diablo uh, yeah. screaming match between the two oh, of them. It's just, it's coming so guttural from yeah. inside uh, Eva Green. It's It really does feel like the devil's speaking through her at moments. That she just does a fantastic job. Such a such a powerful scene of the two of them screaming at each other, uh, which is both of both played by Eva Green, yes. of course, um, where she plays the devil and uh, devil through the ventriloquist doll. Um, I'm presuming if a ventriloquist doll uh, asked you to kiss it, John, and you would get your <laughs> wildest dreams, you would also reject that too. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, let's just say, you know, this thing talks, okay? <laughs> um, that was freaky enough for mm. me, let alone where I just wondered whether this wooden tongue was going to come out <laughs> of the doll uh, as the, the, they're kind of leaning in uh, for the 
kiss uh, before they have the verbis Diablo off, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, uh, I thought the doll was, it's just so well done. Um, again, some of the extras from the, the Blu-ray shows how they made this, where they actually did a full scale, uh, mold of Vanessa wow. or of Eva Green, I should say, uh, and then just scaled it down, uh, within proportion, uh, to this doll. And that's why it looks so, absolutely like her and i think that's what makes it so uh, freaky uh, but i i love the fact that it talks whilst also hating that at the same time <laughs> um and you know it refers to vanessa as amanette here um and you know make, makes the point that the moment you spoke the verb as diablo you extended your powers to kill and and i think sort of just the, it makes sense with um, Mr. Roper, I, s- I suppose, from the previous episode uh, as well, why she was able to maybe change in that way. But um, yeah, then that contrast with the fact that Lucifer here is really banking on what he describes as um, an old dream, that that dream is for her to be normal mm-hmm. and and hence going to that very bright and white uh, temptation of Lucifer uh, to be married with Ethan uh, with kids um, and uh, I suppose talk endlessly about hippopotamuses um, and <laughs> stuff like that. That sounded really like you said Lucifer was going to get married to Ethan with kids. You mean Vanessa's <laughs> Vanessa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure Lucifer's tempted by Ethan as <laughs> we all are, um, to be honest. But uh, yes, and and then just the that kind of reverse because... Like Lucifer makes the point, you know, you have to take it willingly. Um, he feels that this temptation is the one that she isn't going to be able to resist. Um, you know, he's not going to crawl around on his hands and knees begging for uh, loyalty. It has to be given uh, willingly. Um, and uh, then you, he gets effectively uh, that knockback. Um, as you say, Ray, mm-hmm. she goes, I know who I am. And this idea that she doesn't want to be normal, you know, that he, he's kind of playing played the wrong deck here as Lucifer and yeah. um, that that temptation of normality is not something that she uh, maybe any longer wants and um, she's happy to be this 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 different um oddity or, or different person mm. um and so I, I yeah just the whole thing of the doll fracturing mm. and all the um the scorpions sort of so cool. rushing out and then that as Madame Carly hasn't delivered on her mm, promise yes, to Lucifer right. that she begins to to age uh, at the same time where Hecate kind of unleashes her plan and the the wolf of God um, and oh my goodness what um what a great kind of moment where the throat is ripped uh, from Madame Carly and there is a scene of her still lying on the floor later on where you can see right down her, her windpipe. Um, I think she had poached eggs for breakfast <laughs> from what I could see uh, down down her esophagus uh, to her stomach because that is like a proper uh, clean throat rip. Um, I, I thought that was awesome, the uh, kind of uh, constructed. Um, and, of course, that breaks the spell uh, for Victor and Malcolm uh, at the same time, mm-hmm. which is... Uh, which is beneficial for them, I suppose. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, when Ethan comes in and slices her throat, it doesn't seem that bad <laughs> to begin with, 
But then, you, as you say, John, you get that glory shot at the end where she's just lying there and she's fully decapitated. And yeah, full full credit to the uh, the props and special effects department um, or the makeup or mm-hmm. whoever does it. It's um really um really detailed, uh, but I love it. it really yeah, is, yeah, it's like most of her throat is gone. Yeah, it's <laughs> you really see down. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know. yeah. Absolutely. And, sp- and speaking of, of credit to the people involved in this show, like this scene, you know, a, a doll talking to mm. your major character as your finale. How bad could this yes. have gone? Like, I, I mean, how poorly could it have come across on screen if not in the hands of these very talented people that worked on the show? Because, you know, a doll talking to a person as uh, being embodied by the devil. I think we've had that in other shows. I remember in Buffy, they had the ventriloquist dummy possessed by a demon oh, yeah. before. It just doesn't come across as terrifying as this. I think just the creation of the doll of Vanessa in itself being as creepy as it is, is a great touch. But it must be in the performance of Eva Green um, and the writing of the episode and the filming of this particular scene as how terrifying it comes across because yeah. it's it's so good as a finale. I think it's the construction of it as well. I mean, you know, Buffy didn't show babies being kind of kidnapped, <sighs> sliced and diced, and then sort of hearts sort of being put in. Like, you know, the, there is a there's a genuine sort of terror mm. around uh, not only the practice of of um, the enchantments and, and the voodoo element to it, yeah. but just how these fetishes are uh, are created mm-hmm. that has been built up. So in that moment, you know what's gone into creating this, you know, through the attack on the house, getting the locket of her, having the the baby um, yeah. kidnapped uh, and effectively um, pillaged of, you know, its its heart. Um, so it, 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 it's that element of it uh as well that you know it, it's a fitting vehicle i suppose for for lucifer that such depravity uh allows him to exist on the 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 plane of earth mm-hmm. uh to come out from hell yeah. uh so it, it it it's that yeah yeah i'm glad buffy didn't do that actually. <laughs> <laughs> um can i just bounce some thoughts and what did you think of those scorpions coming out of the out of the doll um was that mm. um a manifestation of lucifer or was that something that was part of vanessa because she i was just trying to understand it like as i i get mm. the symbolism obviously because of vanessa's uh scorpion little scorpion uh reference and uh but mm. she absorbs one of them um and yeah, um i don't know cool. what are your thoughts on just all the the spewing of, of scorpions out of the doll what did it mean? Yeah, I, I felt like it is her power okay. that that's what she effectively placed inside of this doll to destroy right. it from the inside out. <sighs> almost yeah. that's yeah. the spell that she's doing. I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, but you're right; it's, it's not a hundred percent clear as to what it is. But I just feel because that's been her, the manifestation mm-hmm. of her protection has always been the the scorpion that it's something coming from her. Uh, one of the other things I was also interested in, in that scene as well. I, I think you mentioned it, John, that she's referred to as Amanette by. Amon Ra by, uh, by this, this creature. Um, and it's not, it, it's, I'm trying to work out in my head, does that mean that she is the reincarnation of this deity for these centuries, I, I, I millennia, I think, uh, back from when Amon, Amonet and Amon Ra were, were ruling over the Egyptians. Um, but I'm not sure whether that's very clear mm. or is she just Vanessa and he's projecting that he wishes she was Amonet, his, uh, eternal partner. I'm not sure. So, I, I took this that she's not 
Amonette, but that's how he refers to her because you have that, um, you have that moment from Mr. Lyle talking about the women that have been the, in this role mm-hmm. from different cultures, um, of which Amonette is from the Egyptian culture, but he, he talks about others from the, the Bible, yes. from, um, from, uh, Persian culture, from, from Greek culture, the, 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 these women that have been destined. And so in a sense, this is the Victorian mm. culture of that. And, and what Lucifer is recognizing is that, um, that Vanessa is able to contain and in, in effect control evil yeah. here. So it's someone that represents yes. Amanet is what he's attracted to, yes. not necessarily that Amanet is passing. No, exactly. Woman as, the, as the women yeah. die. Okay. So that each culture and at each moment in time, there is this type of person and they are spoken about. And, and so in, in this modern world, it's Vanessa, I right. suppose, that has been chosen. And I think to your point, Ray, the scorpions coming out of the doll is in effect her whatever enchantment or or whatever words from the verbus diablo is a manifestation in in breaking lucifer's power here um in in this world of of, of men and women um because uh yeah so the scorpion is seen as this protector mm-hmm. on the journey to the afterworld right. or to death, whether the spirit or, or the, um, the internal organs from Egyptian culture. So this is a protective kind of symbol as, mm-hmm. as, as we've seen. Um, and that melding into a hand, which I thought was just really mm-hmm. cool, uh, is kind of just, um, I suppose making that point again that they're becoming one, this, this um legend of the scorpion and vanessa mm. um you know effectively she's leveled up here mm-hmm. um she's she's gone all powerful um she can take on the big boss um so i think that's where i kind of took all the scorpions kind of coming out was a manifestation of her enchantment yeah i mean that makes the most sense as well one little thing that was just kind of itching at me was i think i guess a couple of episodes ago Evelyn Poole produces a scorpion to Sir Malcolm as well. So mm-hmm. um, I'd always associated the scorpions with Vanessa, but Evelyn Poole's given it to Malcolm, and it seems to have some sort of um, malevolent intent because it's a precursor to him uh, finding his his demons. You know, she says, oh, you know. That's you know. right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. She, Evelyn Poole, when she – on unfolds her hand and puts it on his knee she says i will leave you with your little scorpion so she's saying this is vanessa oh, okay right um and she so she goes be careful uh of her because she has a sting or oh, okay. they you know there is the sting mm-hmm. like the sting of your memories and then yeah, yeah. Right. Q, okay. malcolm gets all his uh coffins all at once yes. um and and the old zombie the the zombie murrays uh come to for a family reunion. Can you imagine if that happened? Well, cute. Christmas dinner. (laughs) The the, the zombie Harrisons and O'Neills. Oh, it's bad enough having all the Harrisons and (laughs) O'Neills. Exactly. uh, I can't imagine the zombie versions of all of my family being together as well. At least they won't eat much. Exactly, yeah. You don't have to shop (laughs) that much, so. (laughs) Exactly. just have one chicken for everybody rather than a massive turkey. Uh, Raw chicken as well. You don't even have to cook it. Brilliant. (laughs) No, the chicken would be for us, then, because we're not the zombies. Okay, yeah, Sammy's going to eat chicken, as far as I know. <laughs> um, cue my major moment from the episode, because mine is about uh, about Victor and Malcolm um, 
being confronted, I suppose, by uh, by their own demons uh, who've been brought back to life in this room. I think this scene is absolutely terrifying and so well written i really love as you have both sides you have the family you have uh, malcolm's wife and children trying to uh, force him to see what he's done in his life he led to peter's death uh, his son while they were while they were away by not um protecting him from the elements but not protecting him from what was what was going to happen to him in south africa you have his daughter who he shot in the head effectively as she says but even before that he allowed her to get taken by uh by the by the creatures by the vampires and then his wife arrives and his wife effectively was left on her own to deal with the abuse of evelyn Poole, someone that was just trying to win malcolm so nothing to do with his wife at all she wasn't responsible for it and that moment of uh, her confronting malcolm and then raising her neck slightly as blood drips from her cut throat uh, is terrifying Ooh, <laughs> it's absolutely yeah. scary um, and then it cuts to the other side of the room with victor going through his hallucinations of all of his children the return of proteus we have here the return of of lily and uh, and John Clare or Caliban all coming back to him saying, we are your children. You created us. Um, Caliban saying, I'm your brother. I'm the one that has, has experienced everything you've experienced. Um, Lily effectively saying, I'm, I'm your master almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Proteus saying, I'm your son. You are my father. Um, but what I love about it is you can almost understand why both of these characters, Malcolm and Victor go to take their own lives. They are convinced that this is their time. They're convinced that they should join their, their versions of their families. Just all it takes is just one slash, one shot to, to your head with a gun. And then you can be with us forever. You can almost see how they're being pushed over the edge into taking their own lives. And it does, I think, lead to the later scenes with, uh, with, Victor going to visit Lily and trying to reconnect with her. And then when he shunned, our final scene with Victor is then him shooting up morphine into his fingers. Mm. Uh, he's now possibly not going to survive into season three because yeah. he's been rejected by the family that this vision is effectively saying his family want him back and want him to die and be reborn into them. And while he tries to reconnect with them, they reject him again. So uh, it seems like he's lost everything by the end of the series. So, uh, so overall that whole uh, section between Victor and Malcolm being approached by by those family connections and effectively going to suicide, I think is just is just a, a really interesting way to close out their stories for for this season. It's a it's scary and and creepy and so well done. Definitely, and great to see Proteus back because yeah. he was a great was character good. in those two episodes. Yeah, I, I was really pleased they brought uh, Proteus back in into that mix, into that torment for for Victor, mm. um, because I, I feel that's almost maybe the one that might torment him the most. Mm-hmm. Given um, he seemed to have positive feelings towards them, as yeah. opposed to like like running as far away as he could from uh his his first creation to yeah. begin with and i suppose his sense of jealousy now with with lily and dorian mm-hmm. but um but i love i love that he he says to the creature it's you that killed him i didn't kill him and and uh caliban goes well you made me and i killed him so yeah you did kill him basically so it's well, still yeah. back on you victor um, you're still the one that did all this you know? yeah absolutely i i think what i really like about the these scenes is just that duality the the reflection of victor into malcolm and and malcolm into victor because mm-hmm. 
you, you, there's been a lot of those father-son conversations between these two, and so for then these two to be experiencing this horror show of their past coming to haunt them, um, and and you you get the ref, that sort of reflection of you know um, of, of Malcolm's family saying you know one last great adventure into the unknown to join the great explorers so that he can be at peace, uh, and you have Lily. Um, Proteus and Caliban saying one last experiment, father, uh, to join the poets, um, which I think, again, to be at peace. It's really good. Um, I, I, I love how, um, you know, how will they atone? And both of them are this. How How is Malcolm going to atone? How is Victor going to atone? Um, and I do love Gladys um, saying the final tombstone on the hill yes. to Sir Malcolm. Um, I, I love this actress playing yeah, Gladys because mm-hmm. again, just a small role, but I think she really brings um, this sense of just abandonment from, from Malcolm and, and how she played, you know, in previous episodes being um, uh, harrowed by Evelyn Paul with the, the, the brain acupuncture uh, in, in her fetish doll. Yeah. Um, I, I think she's been really good. And I, I think the delivery of that line by her was just really, uh, really good. Yeah. I mean, the, the parallels, yeah. as you say, John, there between Sir Malcolm and, and Victor, essentially um, with family um, and Victor's, Victor's children, um, you know, and, and Lily can argue the fact that she's uh, a bit more than that or, or, um, John Clare says, I'm your brother. So there is that, um, that responsibility that both, uh, Victor and Sir Malcolm have on their family. Uh, yeah, I love that parallel as well. Um, seeing Proteus, as you, as you mentioned, uh, do you guys get that feeling as well? I love it when you, when you're so drawn into a scene, right? And, and these characters are apparitions, right? They're hallucinations. Mm-hmm. And you kind of think, okay, this is, so this is just, um, uh, you know, Sir Malcolm and Victor in this scene, and these are just appar- apparitions. But in reality, th- these actors are actually acting in this episode as well. I don't, it's a weird thought. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever yeah. get that kind of thought. It's like, um, <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Like they're they're acting different versions of mm. themselves. They're acting Victor's version of what he would think they're like. So, um, so it's it's not. It's also a different. Yes version of what Billy Piper has been playing in Lily for the last uh, last two seasons. It's a different version of what uh, Rory Kinnear has been playing the creature as, because now he's playing the creature as how Victor sees him in his mind. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. And same thing with Malcolm's family. The the actors playing his family are playing the fears up from what Malcolm would be seeing if they had the opportunity to speak again. So uh, yeah, I, I love these scenes and it's, it's, it is fascinating to see how they, how they perceive their failures, I suppose, because that's their big issue. Those, those two characters is they failed everybody around yes. them. And that's, uh, and seeing them tear their brains apart, I suppose, uh, is, is how scary this, this scene played yeah. out. Yeah. Really, really good. And it's also, again, it's also that great temptation from, from Lucifer, the devil as well, with this, um, mm-hmm. driving them to suicide. And that's the intent, obviously, but, but kind of, yeah. um, sugarcoating it with the idea of, you know, join us. You can, you know, trying to mm-hmm. fool, um, so Malcolm and Victor. And I love this way that, um, it's not like it's never been done before, but I just love the way that, um, the tactics of Lucifer and the devil is a lot more, um, k- kind of underhanded rather than just your brute force of, yeah. it's just an evil being that, Absolutely. um, say, 
maybe in season one is just about the physicality and the attacking and, and just the terror. Mm. This devil is a lot more conniving and um, is trying all yeah. these things. And he does it with Vanessa as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. I completely agree. I yeah. think um, it is just really well done. Mm. Yeah. And as you said there, Ray, um, yeah. So that was my major point uh, from this episode of the season, just how and, and how we end Victor's story at the end of season two. I don't know if there's a season three, whether Victor Frankenstein would appear back in it or whether somebody's just going to find his body somewhere. Yeah, well, there's uh, definitely really. the sense that he's overdosing here. And um, just to say, I, I did like the touch of him injecting between his fingers oh, um, yeah. because he's effectively destroys any other major sort of vein or artery that he can uh, do it to mm-hmm. um, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, certainly following his memento Mori with his, with his creatures and that final encounter with Lily and Dorian, uh, I'm not surprised, but he probably goes that way actually. Um, cause even we have that nice, sort of intimate moment with him and, and Sir Malcolm as well mm-hmm. um, in, in Sir Malcolm's study. But uh, I'm I'm hoping that he, um, it's not fatal, that he just wakes up with um, a, a, a new spur to probably, probably create another one. You know what he's like, <laughs> he's a bit obsessive. Um, another maybe one this of, one will be better. Yeah, maybe this one will be better um, as he just keeps plonking them out. But I mean, ultimately, Lily... Um, does want him yes. you know as well and i suppose this is coming to my um my point which uh yeah i i get the lord of the rings return of the king moment with all these <laughs> endings for everyone mm-hmm. and dare i say it, everyone does get an ending uh, i've called it triple a just uh to 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 give it some structure because uh we do see a lot of the characters in their ending leaving on ships for various places of which one is africa one is america and it seems like one is the arctic um i i did like caliban's one that he he because he says um he's leaving for a desolate shore to to vanessa in in the colorific arches underneath the the railway line um and i did like that description it immediately made me feel like he was referencing the island of dr moreau and that he was going to this shore um of this island filled with creations from the mind of a mad scientist Mm -hmm. in this case dr moreau but obviously him coming from victor um and uh going to find the monsters yeah finding those monsters so um but but it's not it's not that kind of tropical island he's he's off to the arctic this desolate shore of of isolation and even seeing that ship i didn't catch the name of the ship but i i immediately thought of hms uh terror which is a great name for a a royal navy ship that tried to find the northwest passage around the arctic north of canada and effectively got lost and you know, those great kind of superstition moments but it also um, turned into an absolutely terrifying tv show as well it did yeah exactly um god the victorians were good at kind of creepiness um and i i, I like this he, he's kind of going off to be alone for a while he's kind of spurned lily he's seemingly not taking up her her offer mm-hmm. to join them uh and to conquer uh so i thought that was uh really nice i liked um sir malcolm i suppose in a sense has come at, to peace with himself here um he you know he he's and i i like the fact that it's connected in with both his family but also some some as mm-hmm. well um 
Sambeni is really, really dead here. Um, yeah. absolutely. And th- there's a moment where, I, which I really liked actually, um, that Samalcom touches, uh, his forehead and closes his eyes. Nice. Um, and, uh, I thought that was really nicely done by Timothy Dalton. Uh, there, there was real kind of emotion there, uh, for, mm. for me. And, you know, he, he's kind of on a twofold mission in traveling to Africa to, try and put his past behind him and to be uh, true to his family uh, and Sembene, which is to return Sembene to Africa, um, but also to collect his his son Peter from the shores uh, of Lake Tanganyika. Uh, but, think, yeah, he's, he's talked about that mission a few yeah. times. He wanted to bring Ethan along with him, and everybody was saying it was just a fancy. He wasn't going to do it at all. So it does feel like he's, he's now about to accomplish that mission, about to go to South Africa and, and collect the... Uh, the body of his son but is there anybody that master malcolm is even tangentially connected to that's still alive like even you know obviously evelyn has lost her head in this episode <laughs> vanessa is the only as well one. vanessa yeah. yeah vanessa's the only one and she's turned to darkness effectively she says you know she's kind of saying in this episode she's rejecting the devil because she's now more powerful than that effectively so um I'm, yeah, I don't really want to be friends with Malcolm. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, for sure. Um, I think, yeah, it's only Vanessa. And I suppose for Vanessa's ending, she's really left at, at Sir Malcolm's home here. Um, I, do, I do like the, she, she says, I've ran from the darkness for so long only to find more darkness. Um, and the, it seemingly that, that beautiful, um, normal life of her and Ethan is there's no hope for uh, at least um, for Vanessa and uh, in in terms of their story they truly are kind of cleaved away from one another here because um, Ethan is on a boat uh, destined for North America mm-hmm. um, or America to keep the A theme going <laughs> and um, and I really like this you know that. He hands himself in ultimately mm-hmm. to the police. He confesses his crime to Inspector Rusk. He, he believes he's going to have the, the quick, uh, retribution of, of the, of the rope, uh, and not the long drawn out guilt. Mm-hmm. I think that Inspector Rusk talked about previously. Um, oh, but- massive, massive applause to, uh, to Inspector Rusk. Oh, that's all very nice, Ethan, yeah. that you've come to, uh, to turn yourself <laughs> yeah, exactly. in. But you're already being recalled to yeah. America. Yeah. <laughs> and Warren just came in today. Sorry, I didn't get the chance to tell you before you spilled your guts <laughs> and told me all of the horrible yeah. things you did. But I did like hearing it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Ethan says, make it quick. He, he thinks this is his way out. Yeah. This is, um, effectively a suicide yes. did, uh, mm-hmm. for, for Ethan. Um, and he's not going to be given that satisfaction. Uh, and Inspector Rusk is like, you know, there will be no hanging. His the extradition orders. You're you're going home to America, um, and so we see him caged as well, like an animal on the ship. So again, this is very much as well going to feed into um, the third season, where we we get to travel uh, away from Victorian London to the the world of you know the this um this new country that is expanding westwards yeah. uh, across um uh north america yeah. so that that that's a really kind of interesting yeah. uh ending as well and I, then i suppose we've touched on victor 
as well. His, his yeah. final ending as well yeah. already. Yeah. It's good that you point out that he's trapped like a caged animal here because you presume being on a ship to America, you know, a couple of weeks across the ocean, he'd be in the brig. He'd be in, you know, a normal prison on board the ship. But he is. He's crouched down on the floor as they're all staring at him in this cage that would be for a wild animal. So, um, so yeah, it, it, it does feel like he's being dragged off, uh, to the circus to another country or something. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, a pretty brutal way for, for his story to end, but really good that, uh, Inspector Rusk got his yeah. man as well. At the yeah. Was a really good yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I was very satisfied with, um, Inspector Rusk's, uh, you can see the glee that he had when, yeah. um, when he, um, you know, rejected what Ethan wanted to be done to him. Uh, and mm-hmm. basically it's, it's a fate worse than death for Ethan. There's extradition back to yeah. America. So I know it's a little, little, uh, you know, cheeky, but I did like that from Inspector Rusk. Um, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I just want to take it yeah. back also, John, to, um, cause you're talking about, um, this relationship with Vanessa and Ethan and, and this, uh, this tragedy that that life will never happen as well. Um, I found this conversation that Vanessa has, final conversation she has with John Clare, um, you know, oh, yeah. are so, so sad. It's so tragic as well because essentially they're both, they're both sad. I mean, previous times we see them, they're quite happy. Vanessa's so affectionate and, and comforting towards him. But now both of them are quite yeah. miserable and they're both coming off very, very bad um, events that have just occurred. Uh, and there's even a point where John wants to, uh, as you say, he wants to go away, he wants to flee, but there's a final little spark in him going, why don't you join me, you know, because he can recognise yeah. this kindred spirit. Um, in Vanessa. Unfortunately, yeah. she rejects that as well because she's got her own things going on. And I find it just so tragic because these two beings are so, they play off each other so well and they, they work so well together. Um, but they can't, mm-hmm. they can't have a relationship together. Um, and no. I, I just find it, yeah, it was a very emotional, very well done scene. And I think the basis of why they probably tried to get Vanessa and um and John uh, in like with dialogue um in the season in season three for the season yeah. to come because they just they just act so well together um brilliant actors both Absolutely. of them yeah. yeah they're really good I mean that's the thing yeah it's it's where I suppose we also get that insight from Vanessa where she says I've lost God I've lost my immortal self it's that um you know I I do feel like in in some respects when we leave Vanessa um after John Clare, it's like she's almost taking on a, um, Professor Van Helsing role. She, it's, it's that she has taken on evil, but it's almost to turn it back on, on itself. And mm. uh, she's, it's like she is this vampire hunter, but more than that, yeah. it's, it's just for evil. And um, I think maybe it is the idea that she knows that there is one more to deal with, which is the brother cast out onto earth. But, um, mm-hmm. although I thought it was quite, um, evocative that her final moment in the episode ties back to the first episode of season one, where we saw her praying at the crucifix at the beginning of season one. And now she's taking it down off the wall and throwing it in the fire. Yeah. Um, she's effectively cutting ties with her old self, cutting ties with God. Um, 
You know, it, it's 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 mass, massive change for this character Vanessa. I do like that line when she's talking to John Clare, where she uh, where she says to him, "I think you're the most human man yeah, I've ever yeah. known." And he's saying to her, "No matter how far away you walk from God, He's waiting ahead." I think those are uh, beautiful touches between those two mm. characters, giving solace to each other in some ways. But she can't really go further from God than taking the crucifix off the wall and burning it. Like that seems yeah. like a massive choice for for the character. But it's almost you can return. Like mm. it's it. She's had to imbue herself um, with the the dark magic and so on from mm. from that book left by Joan Clayson. But he's saying he will always be ready to take you back okay. if you, I suppose, repent. Um, I I, yeah, it's interesting. And I suppose it will play out in, in season three. And I, But I like that it hangs a bit with Vanessa mm. because she has always been the most mysterious, yeah. Uh, yeah. the most difficult to, to read. Um, I even like that Mr. Lyle gets a little moment with Victor as well. Just again, it's Lord of the Rings, uh, Return of the King mm-hmm. endings here. We've got to go through literally everyone. And <laughs> um, dare the I fellowship say, fellowship is broken. Yes. Dare I say it? They go into the West as well. But there we go. Um, and, uh, he gets that moment where it's almost like, well, we're the two kind of <laughs> most normal, if they can be described as that. But, you know, that offer of friendship between the two that Mr. Lyle says, you can always come to me as a friend. Um, to Victor. You know, yeah. to, to Victor in that moment. Um, I just, I, I like that it was underlined because we did mention before about, um, Mr. Lyle hiding his, uh, his Jewish practices in the basement when he was preparing for the attack from the nightcomers. And I do like that it's called out in this episode that, yeah. that Mr. Lyle needs to protect that he is Jewish, um, within society in Victorian era because it was it was something that uh, would have been held against him and I like that he has that connection with Victor to say just please keep this secret because I can't have this known about me because we weren't sure whether we were just reading the scene right the last time it happened whether it was just part of the ritual that he was doing that he needs to be away from people or whether he was keeping this other secret about himself uh, so I, I just thought it was important to, to underline it in case we were getting it wrong last time so uh, so we weren't that's good yeah um, so and even with Dorian and Lily um, they are I suppose bloody dancing again. Oh. Uh, that that Ooh. hallway or that ballroom has seen a lot of blood, mm-hmm. but um, I love the fact here, um, and part of the reason why Victor does try and uh, maybe kill himself is that this encounter where you know he he goes and goes to kill Lily and, and Dorian with a bullet for each of them, mm-hmm. uh, but they are the immortals and they just stand there and kind of look at him and you know almost pretend that he's not there they're discussing him whilst ignoring him about whether they should finish him off now or leave it till later or it's the foot and the ant you know do you crush it um i suppose and that's the kind of feeling that you get here uh with them i love the fact that she keeps him she doesn't kill him now because he it will be of use in creating i suppose what her army of Maybe. of dead of the dead uh, or of the reborn um but the great visual of this is that all the while they're discussing it the camera pans back and this the shot mm. that uh, victor has inflicted on the both of them uh, is beginning to materialize on their back you know as the bullet wound has gone through and you have the blood streaking down the white tailcoats of dorian mm-hmm. and the white um trail of, of lily um as then they dance and it's all just pouring out of them their blood so uh 
What a fantastically uh, horrific image uh, to be left with. You know, these two in pure white, yeah. um, but bloody and, and red stained. Yeah. I guess that portrait is going to take another battering. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, the portrait's probably there going guns oh my goodness you know like can you imagine when the machine gun comes in that portrait is just like gonna um yeah. no <laughs> of a grenade i thought uh victor was when i first watched this i thought he was dead for all money i mean i couldn't see how he was going to yeah. get out of this these two immensely powerful beings immensely evil uh, and then just talking in front of him you know should we just kill him now i just i was expecting a, a short mm-hmm. short quick sharp just like snap of a neck or something. Um, so kind of glad yeah. that he did, um, survive it. But it, it, I mean, poor Victor, he's, he's at the total pits. I mean, and now he's, um, you know, at the whim yeah. of Lily expected to make an army of immortals and, uh, he's been yeah. spurned by her. He's, he's, I'm assuming one and only chance at love has been, utterly demolished um you know mm-hmm. so yeah you got to feel for victor but it was a very cool scene and yeah visually john the, the blood and the white um was this really and it's the first time we've actually seen i guess um um dorian in his immortal state i mean he's had his ear bitten off mm-hmm. um he's you know talked about stuff that's happened to him but it's the first time we actually see physically him being shot and him just standing up and not not really worried at all um absolutely yeah, yeah. she's brought that power out in him really, yeah that's what it seems like from from lily that she's really brought that confidence out in him that no matter what happens i'm gonna live through it mm. so uh yeah it, it's like he's a terrifying character when you think of his version of immortality it's not that he just lives forever as a young uh, as a young man it looks like he can survive anything as yeah. well so there's there's something different about that it means he doesn't have to be even as protective as he has been in the past of himself um or or his body and putting himself into certain situations you know maybe he's going to go skydiving with a parachute <laughs> next time you know <laughs> because if he can survive <laughs> that then he can survive anything, yeah, absolutely you know? and so that's what it kind of feels like but um but loads of stuff in this yeah. episode i know is there any other notes that we haven't talked about that we uh that we want to mention i'll just jump in with one mm-hmm. because uh, a favorite moment for uh, for mr lyle in this episode as he uh, as he kills oh, uh, yeah. one of the nightcomers and says never under- <laughs> underestimate the power of a queen with lovely hair my dear <laughs> <laughs> great mr lyle excellent moment. stuff that's as close as Love as that. close as you're going to get to a, a hollywood kind of one-liner you know <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah <laughs> although i would watch his adventures uh, taking out uh, witches all across the world absolutely he, uh, delivered lines like that. skipping along on his his bed of of lavender <laughs> with his two fishes um for sure um i like hecate um you know burns the house down leaves a, a crispy carly yeah, she uh, does. there uh, but takes the the old uh takes the implements mm. in order to continue her mother's fetish bag of tricks yeah um yeah, yeah. I just like uh, the little note. I I love the classic look of the werewolf or the the lupus day. Um, not a mm-hmm. full blown mm. wolf, or, you know. He's got that yeah. kind of, I don't know, very human like face. Uh, he's always had the long hair, I guess, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, very kind of classic look. Uh, so yeah, really enjoyed that. Yeah, they did a really good job. But it really does feel like uh, like a much 
I'm trying to think the kind of Hollywood uh, Universal Monsters, mm, wasn't yes. it? That that's the version of of the the werewolf we have here. Yeah, yeah I think I think he looks cool. He does. Could, you know, it's uh, I've mentioned I've mentioned a number of times that there are terrible ways of doing a werewolf uh, on screen. There there have been many examples of it, and this what they did with this version is scary when he opens up and and shows how wide his mouth is with all the teeth inside as he's about to tear into his victims. I think that's a good scary version of it, but the design otherwise is also really really good. Mm. So yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I just have one final note. Uh, I, I do like, uh, that in the same way as Kellogg's Rice Krispies, the Putney <laughs> family does go snap, crackle and pop. Um, <laughs> with the retribution of, uh, Caliban. Wow. Um, I thought that was just not to say that, you know, I should, uh, sort of, welcome this kind of behavior but it, it felt like retribution for caliban where he just simply takes the the steel door off its hinges mm. um and uh yes it is a snap of mrs putney's neck a, a crackle and pop to of uh mr putney yeah. against the archway and yeah. um, but he leaves lavinia uh to effectively feel her way around in the darkness mm-hmm. uh and uh you hear her screaming um uh, as he leaves the the putney family waxworks yeah. um so uh, it, it felt like justice yeah. here for for Caliban, even though it was uh, a vengeance i suppose um you know you have Mr. Putney there all kind of puffed up with his new suit offering him this deal. Um, and yet he's a bit like the pirates of the Caribbean. He's done the hinges on the cell, uh, incorrectly. <laughs> um, so he can just lift them off and escape. Well, I think that's just the power. I think he was just waiting for his moment, but there was definitely as the, as he kind of calls them closer to give more information about the deal that the Putneys have for John Clare. I was just expecting him to grab the two of them through the bars and yes, kill them because so of that, yeah, and smack well. them off the bars. But as he gets out and just snaps the neck of Mrs. Putney and then uh. repeatedly smashes the face of Mr. Putney against the wall yeah. until he dies. It, it's as brutal as it needs to be for what these people are doing. And fair dues to uh, to John Logan for writing a couple of lines for Lavinia as well, uh, as she still mentions her disdain for the beast that is John Clare <laughs> and then realizes that the rest of her family yeah. are dead. So uh, so you don't actually feel any sympathy for the screaming blind girl as she finds her family. They, exactly. They, yeah. He has yeah. put some stuff in there for it. Yeah, I thought it was fun. Uh, I thought it was funny in the sense that, uh, in case you you didn't, um, or in case you had forgotten how bad she mm-hmm. is, she just mm-hmm. keeps on <laughs> insulting him um, okay. as she kind of walks through that space. Uh, so just just so you know that she is a bad character, and then yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I don't know. I, I was thinking as well. It's a terrible, terrible thought as well. But I was thinking, you know, did he leave a loose end? You know, could Lavinia come back and somehow wreak some sort of havoc to John? I I doubt mm. she would, but um, that was. That's the um, I guess the the darker side of me thinking. You know, he should have just cleaned them all out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he should have killed them all. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Any last notes about the finale of uh, season two of Penny Dreadful? Yeah, I just thought a really nifty little reference as well that John Logan injects is a uh, is that of John Merrick um, in the Putney Waxworks, also known as the Elephant Man. Um, yep. a true story, very sad story as well. Um, hideously mm. deformed. Um, David Lynch directed a film about it, which is, is very cool. Highly recommended yeah. if anyone hasn't 
watched it yet, but he kind of rises above his deformity. Um, but he, anyway, yeah. So he was, I guess, around the Victorian time, and it's nice that he gets referenced um, with the Putneys, albeit amongst the freaks. Um, yeah, as they call yeah. It. yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, the, there is a um, a little reference there to the limbless boy in an apple cart, oh, yeah. which is the basis of upsetting the apple cart. Um, in oh. that, uh, whilst it's an economic thing, it was that um, certain traders, I mean, we still have uh, traders in Dublin that use actually prams to sell fruit and veg that go around the, 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 the fruit market and that the, the carts um, would be these kind of um, things. And for a lot of the disformity, obviously no medical care, that um, you, you would have uh, their their deformed sort of children on the apple cart to move them round and they would lose trade and business to those apple carts that were just literally an apple cart and not an apple cart and effectively a wheelchair as well. And um, so yeah, it's just fascinating where these phrases come from. Yeah. I wouldn't, I would never yeah. have thought that that's where, where a phrase like that came from. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And that was the prevalence of disformity in, in London in the Victorian yeah. period before proper kind of Medical. universal healthcare mm-hmm. or, or whatever. Um, and just the poverty. So, uh, and lots of accidents. You know, like a lot of um, children were used in factories, Mm -hmm. certainly in amongst the cotton, uh, the weaving and and all that. And, you know, these were very dangerous machines and there'll be a lot of uh, sort of handless or limbless uh, sort of children from, from that. Scary as hell. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right off to uh, Henry Street to buy our apples five for 50, John. Yeah, uh, the greeps <laughs> and the pears. <laughs> there you go. Uh, overall, gentlemen, let's close out season two of Petty Dreadful. Overall, what's your thoughts on the season, Ray? As you're the guest for our seasons of uh, of Penny Dreadful, why don't you kick us off? What do you think of season two of Penny Dreadful? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a, a very, a very solid and a very highly polished and, and top quality uh, season. Utterly enjoyed it as well. It, for those that love season one, uh, you won't be disappointed because it retains uh, so many elements of um, what I imagine you'd love from season one. In season two, uh, if you, if I had to, I guess pick between one of them, I'd still, I mean, I, I still like season one. Um, in the fact that I felt it was a lot more compact, um, and that's nothing to say that season two is is weaker for having. Um, broader stories but yeah i mean we've got a bigger cast we've got new characters like rusk and roper coming in we're delving more into uh, characters backstories um so things are expanding uh, and there are a lot of characters here that things need to expand on so it, it, it becomes um, a larger canvas in season two um mm-hmm. but i don't know i just like the compactness of, of season one uh, and that and that simple kind of plot thread of bringing a band together and and having them um battle evil um mm. it was really cool but no i uh, loved loved the the villainty which is um evelyn paul is fantastic performances uh from everyone i'd say everyone brings their a game really great mm. uh, also we get a couple of i guess similar things with like standalone episodes here similar to, to season one um i think it was um was episode five of season one, which, which showed Vanessa's backstory, um, uh, and her going through the, the mental asylum. Um, over yes, here, yeah. season two, we get the brilliant episode three, which is one of my favorites, uh, mm-hmm. of, of the cut wife and Vanessa again. 
but yeah, uh, so a lot to love about it. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. overall, very solid. Excellent, excellent. John, what's your thoughts overall on season two? Yeah, I mean, I I can't agree with Ray enough. Actually, um, I think it's you know everyone progresses and develops each of the characters you know um that were there in in season one and it's again hugely strong uh performances with um eva green okay i don't think there's necessarily a seance moment and there's not a possession moment for maybe you know in the final episode where she is um combating lucifer and and her her fetish doll there is that but mm-hmm. i i just felt you may not get so much of that, but you have that performance with um, the cut wife, uh, with Joan Clayson, uh, and both her and Patty Lapone are just really, really good. Uh, and the performances are absolutely as spot on uh, as ever. Yeah. Um, I really like that along with these kind of developments of the character uh, or all of the characters that we get the involvement of Mr. Lyle more in this season. Uh, you know, he was a favorite of mine from season one. So I really, I, I like that choice that they made. And I like the choice to introduce and expand with um, Inspector Rusk, the, the murders as well. I thought that was a really important element um, here because I think he added a really fascinating dimension to Ethan uh, as Ethan becomes less of the point of view character and gets his story developed yeah. uh, along the way. And of course, what can I say that, you know, the witches, um, not only is uh, Eva Green fantastic, uh, but Helen McQuarrie, I just, um, I, I think she plays this uh, witch of Evelyn Poole, Madame Carly, so, so well. And she really embodies it. And I, I think the witches bring a very different element to the vampires, which are largely absent, uh, if they're non-existent in this season. And, um, you know, they, they, they bring a, a sinister and creepy element because they can walk within the day. What, yes, whilst their powers are heightened at night, they are, they walk among us much mm-hmm. more closely, uh, in, in the time when we feel comfortable, um, and can still, project their their magic at that time you know you see with her sort of ring and of course the dolls are just you know gosh i mean yeah if it doesn't make you sort of stay up at night i i don't know what does (laughs) Um, actually doesn't scare me as much as it does you i absolutely love the the design of of these dolls burn them all yeah um (laughs) none of these dolls for me um but that's what i love about them as well you know it's the absent terror in their faces the dead eyes um just a few mirrors behind their eyes would have really helped them feel alive. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, season one, yeah. yeah. Um, but as well, it's just, I think, overarching. As I say, the vampire's largely absent, and I think you only learn it probably the episode nine where Mr. Lyle says that the, the two brothers. So there, there's a real nice pattern to these two seasons that complement other, each other, which is, you know, season one is about the, the brother that has fallen to earth and this is the brother that has fallen um to hell mm-hmm. um you know and uh dealing with vampires in, in this season with lucifer primarily although i do wonder if it is lucifer that is coming out at the seance uh in season one in which case mm-hmm. there's a little hint there yeah. but that's the connection with madame carly mm-hmm. so uh, th- there's a real nice um that they do they complement one another really well um 
I kind of still, I think I like them both. I, I don't kind of want to say one or the <laughs> other, to be honest. Um, but I, I would give this season five Ballyhoos out of five, for sure. <laughs> um, you know, I could be snippy and say four and a half. I think I do prefer season one marginally. Um, but um, it, I think in reality, I can't really put much between them. Um, I think it's as solid uh, as before. Mm-hmm. Um and as exciting and as fascinating and as interesting and as scary as hell. So, um, yeah, I like that. But dolls can go F off, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, overall, my thoughts, I'm, I'm going to keep it short, really, because you guys have said everything I, I was going to say, really. It's, uh, it's an excellent second season, but... I think that absolutely all lands on at the feet of John Logan. What he was creating here with his story plays out so well in the second season. And he's created something for each of his characters that's made them all feel important to the story. You know, we, we didn't really talk about, or you guys didn't really talk about Lily's story within uh, what you were summing up the season. But I think what she goes through throughout the season, given that she yeah. was kind of comedy girl in season one, yeah. who was just having terribly bad things happen to her in this season, she becomes a terrifying threat for everybody in the future. Effectively, she's committed herself to being the immortal that wants to rule the world side by side with Dorian. You know, that's a that's a huge arc for that character that wasn't really given a massive arc in season one. And um, so everybody has something to do within the season. And I think that's a testament to the writing of, of John Logan and knowing his actors as well as he does now in the second season, he knows how much he can give to each of them to do. And I think everybody ups their game for the second season, everybody involved. It's just such a good job. I'm excited to see season three. I can't remember much of it. Unfortunately, it's been a long time since I've seen it. So I'm excited to come back to it uh, when we get to season three, looking yep. at how that style is taken into the next season, because that's probably going to inform more about how we discuss Penny Dreadful City of Angels than any of the other show. You know, this, this episode ends with So We All Walk Alone Now. Uh, mm-hmm. Each of our major characters is now off on their own mission and all separated from each other. So I'm expecting that's how we're going to feel about the next season. And similarly, how we're going to feel about City of Angels when it comes with brand new characters taking on a brand new storyline. So that's where I feel we are. We've ended a massive storyline of these two seasons and now everybody has something new to do when we get into the next season. So very intriguing. Thanks so much, as always, for joining us for our discussions about Penny Dreadful. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on tvpodcastindustries.com. We're getting really excited about uh, Penny Dreadful City of Angels coming up uh, later on in the year. But if you want to support us, you can support us at patreon.com slash tvpodcastindustries. Ray, do you want to let everybody know where they can hear you on your other podcasts? Yeah, sure. Um, if you do like comic books and comic book characters, uh, you can catch me on Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. Uh, best place to check that is uh, into the night with a k.libsyn.com. Uh, I also do co-host a, a podcast about Superman. Um, not as well versed with that great character, but you can catch mm-hmm. my thoughts on uh, lskpodcast.libsyn.com. Excellent, excellent. Uh, lots and lots of good uh, good podcasts over there, Ray, that you do and uh, really enjoying them. We will eventually get you to rebound your podcast as Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> should do, should do. <laughs> We'll be back next time with our discussion about the first episode of season three of Penny Dreadful. Thanks so much for joining us. 
Catch you later, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, go check out this show if you haven't already. Thank you, fellow Darklings, for listening. As always, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Remember, in the words of Ethan Chandler, your road may be difficult, but ours is doomed. And hopefully, once we have sideset doom uh, and gone purely into difficulty, uh, we will be back to speak with you again, all about Season 3 of Penny Dreadful. Uh, just remember, fellow Darklings, keep watching keep listening and importantly keep screaming <laughs> bye see ya bye Thank you.